to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. It's not a got to, it's a get to. I get to go to church. I want to come. I want to be among God's people. I want to learn more about the Lord. I want to experience His love and goodness. It's that attitude of love for Christ that takes the the burden off of us and allows us to serve with joy. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapters 29 through 31 in a message titled, Jacob, Laban, and the Consequences of Deceit. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, well, let's um, turn to Genesis 29 as we pick up in our study of this great book of Genesis and now looking at the life of Jacob. So as you will remember, Jacob, having incurred the wrath of Esau by stealing the blessing, was sent away by Isaac and Rebekah to Rebekah's family in the region of Padan Aram. On his journey, we saw that the Lord met Jacob. And although Jacob plotted with Rebekah and deceitfully obtained the blessing, the blessing was, was already his. And as we pointed out, they didn't need to do any of the things that they did, but they did those things. And there are consequences ahead that Jacob will face, but it didn't retract the blessing of God. And so they're in a place called Luz as Jacob, as he was lying there and fell asleep, he had a dream and it was, you remember that ladder and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the ladder. And the Lord spoke to Jacob and he reaffirmed the covenant and the blessing to Jacob. And Jacob then named the place Bethel, the house of God. And so we pick up in chapter 29, Jacob moving on from Bethel. So Jacob went on his journey and he came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. Then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the 
cattle to be gathered together, water the sheep and go feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near, rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. So this long journey and now Jacob finally arrives at his destination, several hundred mile journey that Jacob would have made. And he comes to the very place of his relatives. Now, of course, Jacob has never met any of these people. They didn't have the means of communication that we're so used to today. And so this whole experience is astounding. And again, much like with uh, Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, you see that God was obviously leading Jacob. And remember how Eliezer, when he came to the home of, of Laban and, and Rebekah's parents, and he was seeking for direction from the Lord, remember how Rebekah came out and met him and now there's a very similar kind of a thing transpiring here with Rachel coming out. And so Jacob is now joined with his family. Then Laban said to Jacob, verse 15, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. So her eyes were delicate. Uh, this is a euphemism for she wasn't really that good looking. <laughs> it's a nice way of saying it. Uh, the <laughs> You know, there's, there's all kinds of uh, talk among commentators about what this actually meant. Uh, her eyes were weak. Uh, some would say that, well, she, her eyes were dim. She couldn't see that well, but that wouldn't affect her appearance at all, of course. So something about her, uh, she just wasn't attractive like her younger sister, Rachel. That's what's um, indicated here in the text. <laughs> so, so Jacob... He loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel 
and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. So Jacob is deeply in love with Rachel and very happy to serve Laban for these seven years that he might obtain Rachel as his wife. You know, it is true when you do anything out of love for somebody else, it just really takes any burden away from it, doesn't it? You know, when, it, when, you're, just, when you're motivated by love for somebody, you, there's just a, a delight in what you're doing. And so that was the case with Jacob. He was so in love with Rachel, seven years just blew by. It just did, didn't seem like anything to him. He was so in love with her and he was so excited about the prospect of Rachel being his wife. And, you know, if, if we look at that, just that idea there, and we, we transfer that over into our relationship with the Lord, that's the way God intends it to be with us and with him. He doesn't want us serving him in a way where, you know, we're, we're sort of begrudgingly serving him, where we're, we're feeling that we're, you know, having to do it out of duty and uh, we're miserable in the process. And, and if we ever come to a place where service to the Lord becomes like that, then we really, we need to stop what we're doing and we need to reevaluate everything and we need to really get back to, you know, just the whole idea of, you know, why am I doing this in the first place? Because if I maintain that attitude of simply, you know, I'm doing this because I love the Lord, it's gonna cause me to just have a, you know, to a large degree, just a, a, a perpetual state of, of joy and excitement in the work of God. And that's the way it should be. Unfortunately, we've seen many times, you know, people who will give the impression that, that serving the Lord is a miserable sort of a thing, something that I've got to do. You know, it's, it's a duty. And, and of course, a lot of times non-Christians think that, don't they? You know, they can't understand why we would go to church more than once a week, you know, I mean, in some cases, more than once a year. But, you know, when they, you know, they find out, you know, maybe you're talking to somebody at work and maybe they say, well, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm going to church. Oh, you're going to church. What for? Oh, well, you know, we have church on Wednesday night. Oh, you got to go to church on Wednesday night. Oh, boy. Oh, I'd hate to go to that church, you know. <laughs> but it's not, I got to go to church on Wednesday night. It's like John Corson would say, it's not a got to, it's a get to. I get to go to church. I want to come. I want to be among God's people. I want to learn more about the Lord. I want to experience his, his love and goodness. And, and, you know, with the different opportunities that come up to serve the Lord, it's that attitude of love for Christ that takes the, the burden off of us and allows us to serve with, with joy and with excitement. And that's the way God intended it. That's the way it is supposed to be, just as it was with Jacob here. Now, Jacob has served these seven years, and these seven years have just 
they've gone by so quickly because of his great love. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that Laban took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Now, I wonder if at this very moment, Jacob didn't have, you know, sort of like an epiphany of realization that he has just had done to him what he had previously done to his father. I wonder if it hit him at this point. I don't know that it did, but I would think to some degree that it probably had to hit him because it is very similar. You know, circumstances are different, but it's very similar what has now happened to Jacob as to what Jacob and Rebekah had done to Isaac. And as we pointed out previously, you remember, the blessing of God is still on Jacob. His promises are still there and will ultimately be fulfilled. But there is this sowing and reaping thing that is going to transpire in Jacob's life. And here is where it begins. Now, think about this as well. Seven years have passed. Seven years is quite a while, isn't it? And, you know, it seems that, as we just read there, you know, the seven years went by so quickly because of Jacob's great love for Rachel. It seems that those seven years were probably great years. They were years of just falling more and more in love with Rachel, thinking more and more about their lives together, probably getting along with the family. And, you know, it was probably just a really great time. And I would imagine to some degree... Jacob had probably forgotten, to some extent anyway, maybe to a large extent, he'd probably forgotten why he even had left home. Well, remember, he left home because Esau wanted to kill him. Why did Esau want to kill him? Because Jacob had deceived Isaac and stolen the blessing. But all of that seemed so far behind him. And I don't know if he, you know, actually would have reasoned it out, but, you know, perhaps he would have had the thought that, well, you know, that's the past and it's taken care of and I'm forgiven and God met me and he reaffirmed the covenant. And so we're moving forward, but all of a sudden the past catches up with them right here in an instant. And look at it. You've got, well, remember the previous situation. You've got Rebecca and Jacob conspiring and Jacob going in and pretending to be Esau and deceiving Isaac and then through that obtaining the blessing. Now what you have is Laban 
Rebecca's brother, so it seems like this kind of thing might have run in the family. <laughs> so, so you've got Laban, and no doubt Leah is complicit in this. She's not, I don't think at all that she's just being forced into it. I think that she is part of the, the scam. And she has agreed to go in and to pretend to be Rachel. And so obviously she was brought to Jacob at night. Of course, it was evidently dark. You know, however it was that Jacob... <laughs> however it was that Jacob didn't recognize her before the morning, he, he didn't recognize her. But, but you see the similarities there? You see the similarities between what Jacob had done and now what is happening to him? But he is, he is amazed that Laban's deceiving him. How could you deceive me? But, but I, I would just imagine that he probably at this point, he probably started remembering much of what he did because his response is not one of really revolting. It's almost in some senses that he sort of consigned himself to saying, all right, I've sown to the flesh, I've got some reaping to do, and I'm just gonna have to, you know, stick through this. Sowing and reaping. The Bible tells us that whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And if one sows to the flesh, they will of the flesh reap corruption. But if one sows to the Spirit, they will of the Spirit reap life, life everlasting. So, you know, this is a principle that we see worked out many times over in Scripture. It's a principle that we see worked out many times just in life in general. You know, we talk about, um, we use the, the term poetic justice. You know, poetic justice is somebody, you know, getting the very thing uh, coming upon them that they tried to, you know, bring upon somebody else. So it's the same idea, sowing and reaping. It's like, uh, it's like Haman who was, you know, building those gallows and so excited at the thought of Mordecai being hung on the gallows. And then in the end, what happens? Haman is the one who hangs on the gallows. It's that, that idea of, of sowing and reaping. This is a biblical principle. And this is something that we ourselves have to really think seriously about. Because just as we see here with Jacob, again, he's still God's man. He's still blessed in the bigger picture. He's still, you know, going to be the one through whom the covenant is going to be established. But he has a lot of unnecessary hardship come upon his life because of this act. And that's what happens so often. You know, I talk to so many people whose misery is self-inflicted. They've brought it upon themselves. And that's, to me, that's the worst kind of misery. You know, if, if, there's, if it's something that you just have no control over, well, what can you do? But if you can think back and know that, oh, it was because of that stupid thing that I did or that, that foolish choice that I made, and then you're, you know, you're living with this thing and you're, you're reaping the consequences of that. And so we have to really be conscious of this 
spiritual principle. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. So that means that we need to be sowing to the spirit. Because if we're sowing to the flesh, there will come a, a, a day of harvest, just as it did with Jacob. It took a while, seven years. It's a long time. But this is the reality. It's the, the crop will come forth ultimately. So we have got to be very, very careful to make sure that we are sowing to the Spirit. So why have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done. So in our country, to give the younger before the firstborn, fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So the wedding ceremony and all of the festivities and all of that were, um, it was a week-long event. And so what Laban is saying, be with Leah for this week, fulfill, you know, all the festive duties and all of that, and then I'll give you Rachel. He didn't have to wait another seven years to obtain Rachel as his wife. He obtained her after that week, but he then was bound to serve Laban for another seven years. And so this is what he did. Jacob fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also, and Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went to Rachel, went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. So was Laban wrong? Of course he was wrong. He was deceitful. But again, it's the, the reaping what Jacob had sowed. But he loved Rachel, and this created a very, very difficult family situation, as you can imagine. You know, the scriptures are really interesting to me because they tell us these stories, and it's, to me it's fascinating the way the Bible is able to, you know, condense, for example, a 20-year period into just a couple of chapters or a 50-year period or something like that. We saw that with Abraham. And, you know, it will give us you know, sort of the main points of the particular story. But obviously, there are lots and lots and lots of things that are not recorded. And some things you, you know, as you sort of read between the lines, you can get an idea of what it must have been like. And for many, many years, this was a very unpleasant situation. So again, we see with Jacob, he goes for that, that seven-year period of, of, you know, just bliss in thinking about that moment when he can be united with Rachel. That finally comes, and now it's nothing like he dreamed. It's nothing like he hoped for because of the deception of Laban. November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, 
a non-anxious presence, how a changing and complex world will create a remnant of renewed Christian leaders by Mark Sayers. Have you sensed anxiety in our culture? Have you been affected by the viral flow of anxiety sweeping through social media networks and institutions? Have you wrestled with the loss of personal comfort and stability? If you answered yes to these questions, then you have the opportunity for spiritual growth in response to God's invitation to grow with Him. In his book, A Non-Anxious Presence, Mark Sayers argues that because of the interconnectedness of the global culture, our world has shifted from being one that was complicated to one that is complex. A complicated world requires efficiency, but a complex world requires adaptability. And this is exactly what this book was designed to do, to help you learn how to adapt in our changing world for the benefit of spiritual growth. This book, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.